So the problem with how we do church in the West typically uh, is that after a time of singing worship like that, someone has to come up and speak. I just want to keep on singing. <laughs> but you're stuck with me, sorry. Uh, so no, it's, yeah. Thank you for leading us. So welcome to church this morning. Uh, thank you for making the choice to come to church this morning. There's all kinds of things you could have done this morning. You could have sit, uh, stayed at home, sat on your couch and watched sports. I mean, it's kind of in between seasons right now. But you could have done that. Uh, you could have gone out for coffee with a friend. You could have gone out for a run. That's what I would typically do in a morning. But you chose to come here. And uh, you may not know this or may not always think about this, but by coming here, you're joining actually the last 2,000 years of people who have followed Jesus, who have said, you know what, it's important for us to get together and sing together, to worship, to read scripture. Uh, so thank you for making the choice to be here this morning. I need your help though. I'm gonna ask you, uh, I need you to participate just for a little bit this morning. So it's not gonna be bad, not gonna be scary, but I'm gonna need you to actually shout some things out loud. Uh, so if you can get ready for that, uh, that's good. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to be safe, reasonably safe. But uh, I just want you to, to participate this way. So I'm going to put four words on the screen, and your task is simply to tell me what that word means. Pretty straightforward, right? Here's the first one. What does that word mean? Okay, I, I'm going to say it louder. To show the way. What else? It's a medal. Well, hang on. What is it? Is it show the way or is it a medal? Right? Lead or is it lead? It could be either way. Without context, we don't know. Here's the next one. What's this mean? Is it a furry animal? Is it something that looks really cute until you realize it can rip you apart? Is it a bear or do you bear with me? Or like my wife, do you bear a child? I didn't do that. I had, oh, I had something to do with that. But I didn't, I didn't actually do the bearing of the child. So which does it mean? Here's another one. Dessert, sweet, you know, like you can have, that cinnamon bun could be really sweet, or it could be too sweet. Uh, a little aside, if you ever want to test the sweetness of your cinnamon buns, you can give me some and I'll be glad to help you out with that, just saying. Or it could mean something, like I'll date myself, Ray Allen has a sweet jump shot. Right, Ken Geoffrey Jr. has a sweet swing. It could mean something that's really nice. What does this word mean? To pray, yeah, duh, to pray, right? To talk to God, what else does it mean? God talks to me. There's a richness in prayer that we often miss because sometimes we can make it too simple. And so what I want to do this morning is invite us to, into a big story in the Bible and go back a couple thousand years to the lives of the very first Christians, literally the very first followers of Jesus, and see what, what their story was like and how prayer came out of that. Because I'm willing to bet when we immerse ourselves in that and see what's going on, it might shape our experience of prayer and prayer might become even more richer than what more richer more rich than what we think it is or have experienced uh, so we we're going to do that together this morning so to do that uh, grab your bible and go to acts chapter one and we're actually going to look at a big chunk this morning so it's going to be in the screen too but a uh, old-fashioned bible or on your phone whatever it is and uh, i'm going to read starting in chapter one and read a bunch of the story and, and for two reasons uh, number one 
to, in order to get the context of what's going on, we actually need to dive into this story. And number two, I actually believe that God's word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And when we immerse ourselves in this, God moves and God speaks. And so we're gonna experience that this morning. I'll just give you a little bit of the backstory. Up until this point, uh, Jesus has lived uh, you know, and done ministry for three years. He was crucified and then he rose again. And the author who uh, writes Acts is Luke, so he also wrote the, wrote the Gospel of Luke. So this is kind of a continuation of the story, but this is where we're picking up. So Jesus has lived, died, uh, and uh, been seen to some, some of his followers. Luke kind of recaptures some of that, and then he's ascended into heaven, and then we have the very, literally the very first followers of Jesus. Uh, in this story. And the other thing to remind ourselves is, you know, if you've been around church or Christianity for a while, you've probably read these things lots of times, and we kind of go, I know how it goes, I know what happens next. Remind yourselves that as this is happening, it's happening live for everybody in the story. They don't know what comes in the next chapter. They don't know what happens next. So read this as if it's a live event um, as as we go through this. And then as we read, I invite you to pay attention to three things. Notice the role of the Holy Spirit the role of scripture, and the role of prayer. So there's lots in what we're going to read, but kind of pay it in the back of your head, pay attention to scripture, spirit, and prayer. Those are the big three that we're going to look at this morning. So so Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that's Luke saying, hey, remember the gospel that I wrote before? This is picking up from that story. After his suffering, so after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, to these disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of, period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. So they had been scattered around the city, but they were still in Jerusalem at this point. That's where Jesus was killed and where he had ascended from. So they're still in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're asking this political question. Okay, hang on. We see who you are. Is this the time when it all comes together and there's a new social, political, you know, entity and you're the king and, and everything that we've dreamed of hap- is happening? Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but he reminds them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, your stuff, whatever about those questions, I'm telling you again, the Holy Spirit is coming. That's more important. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you're at, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, two angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. 
If you've ever been to Jerusalem, uh, you know that the, the Mount of Olives is just a little bit to the east of the city of Jerusalem, and it's on a hill, and you have to walk, it's about a kilometer-ish, back into Jerusalem, and you walk through what's called the Kidron Valley. And it, a Kidron Valley uh, is full of, it's kind of, it symbolizes a dark place. Uh, there's graves along the way. Uh, it's not really a pleasant place to walk through because of what it symbolizes, but they left the Mount of Olives where Jesus had ascended, and now they're going back through that valley, back into Jerusalem, about a kilometer-ish. Uh, to get there, back into the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So if you're familiar with church history, that would be the upper room. If you've ever heard that, that's this room that they're talking about. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. There's a second theme, right? Spirit a whole bunch of times, now prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So those would be Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering 120. So there's roughly 2 billion Christians right now. Maybe more, depending on how you do the math. These, to start off with, there were 120 so what caused this explosion from 120 kind of, you know, believers who were hiding in Jerusalem to this massive worldwide movement of over 200, or of over 2 billion? That's what we're going to look at. I stood up among the believers and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David, so that's King David, concerning Judas, who was a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and shared in our ministry. So if you remember the backstory, Judas was one of the 12 disciples who betrayed Jesus, who for a little bit of silver helped the officials find Jesus so they could capture him and then give him a fake trial, basically, and crucify him. That's this J Judas they're talking about. With the payment that Judas received for his wickedness, he bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. All his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, which means field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. You'll notice a pattern here. Uh, when these first Christians are trying to figure out what to do or how to discern what something means, they inevitably go back to the scriptures. What does the scripture say? What has God already said? And they blend that with the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. So they, the scriptures say this, there should be another one. So here's what they do. Peter says, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism, which happened about three years prior, to when Jesus was taken from us, which had just happened the day before. For one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, which were like dice more or less, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Interestingly, this is the last time in scripture that any sort of decision was ever made by casting lots. After this point, how is this sermon done? With the Holy Spirit, and we'll see why in just a second. When the day of Pentecost came, uh, Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. Jesus was uh, uh, captured on the Passover, 
Uh, so this is roughly seven weeks between when Jesus was captured, had his trial, and now this. So seven weeks have passed, more or less. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So these are the 120 believers. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were saying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Because of Pentecost, everybody was gathered there in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly confused or amazed, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Those are people up from the north. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then listen to this list. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked, what does this mean? Can you imagine being there when this happened? Like we often talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit or being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and we have all kinds of interesting ideas. It's nothing more than the Spirit coming on in power, causing us to do things that we can't normally do so that the wonders of God get proclaimed and people come to Him. Can you imagine if that was our experience in this church today, in this city, in this country? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. Doesn't make any sense. We'll just run them down. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Again, they go back to Scripture. We're trying to make sense of this. Let's dive into God's Word and see what he says. And there's this quote from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, Peter continues, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, sorry, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Like this is the core of Christianity. This is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. David said, this is King David, in another quote from scripture, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope 
because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and then this is the key phrase, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, Peter says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, King David, died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. When Peter said that, he probably actually pointed to the tomb because it is in Jerusalem. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned till the realm of the dead, and his body did not see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For God, for, sorry, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and here's another quote from Scripture, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day can you imagine that have you ever even experienced a taste of that do you want to experience a taste of that that's the background to the story that we've been reading the last few weeks this pattern of the of the early church let me read that to you now with everything we just heard as the backdrop to that so they these are the 3,000 people they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many sign, sorry, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know how you can read this text without immediately getting on your knees and asking God to break through with his spirit. So I'm actually going to go off script and ask us to do that. If you are comfortable, uh, get on your knees. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we are going to ask that same God, that same Holy Spirit, to break into our world, to do signs and wonders, to draw people to him, to call us back, and have him move powerfully. So let me pray. And, and pray as well. Don't, it doesn't have to be just me. Let me pray, and then, we, then we'll pick up later. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you come in power today in this church, in our lives, in this city, and let your spirit run wild. Let's not read these stories with nostalgia and go, wow, that was cool back then. 
God, you want to do this now, so fill this place with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Fill our church with your spirit so that you are glorified, so that wonders and signs are done, so that thousands of people get added to your family, God, because of your spirit. Uh, We submit to you and ask you to fill us, to guide us, and to be released in our midst. We ask that in your name. Amen. So one of the themes in here that we're going to look at is prayer. And the word prayer, you know, I did a little funny thing at the beginning, right? Like what's lead or led or bear or whatever and how we need the context. What I want to do is just give us a picture of prayer in the early church according to the book of Acts. 29 times it says in the book of Acts that prayer, they prayed. Uh, and look, we're not going to go through all those 29, don't worry. Uh, but if you want, I've actually got a chart that I created that goes through all those 29 and who prayed, what they prayed for, what was going on, all that kind of stuff. If you want that, uh, send me an email or send David an email or send somebody to the church something and I'll get that to you. Um, we're not going to do all that this morning, but I want to highlight just five things from that uh, and make some observations. And then what we're going to do at the end actually is experience prayer together as a church, uh, together with worship and singing and prayer. Um, But to do that, I think it's helpful to follow the pattern of these first Christians and go back to Scripture to have that as the basis from which prayer prayer flows out. Uh, So if we were to look at prayer, there's five things. And the first I'll look at uh, is who prayed. And so this is just going to be a summary. So if we were to to look at the the book of Acts and see how prayer, uh, who who prayed, I mean, sorry, we would see that that sometimes the apostles prayed. Those 12 people, they prayed. They spent time praying in different contexts. We'll look at that in a second. Women prayed. Now, you and I may hear that and go, well, so who cares? Go back 2,000 years to the Greco-Roman Empire and this uh, Jewish context in that. The fact that it was mentioned that women were praying is actually a big deal. We may think that's normal. It wasn't back then. This is revolutionary that women are mentioned for praying. Uh, Apostles prayed. Women prayed. Jesus' brothers prayed. Everyone prayed. Some of the texts just say they were all praying. Saul prayed. If you know the story, this was Saul before he became Paul. Saul prayed. Uh, Peter and Cornelius prayed. Man, if you want an amazing picture of what prayer can look like, listening to God, vision, acting on it, all kinds of things, read Acts 9 and 10 and the story of Peter and Cornelius and it will just blow your minds about what prayer can be. The church prayed. That phrase is actually in there. Only happens once in the book of Acts that the church prayed with that title. Prophets prayed. Teachers prayed. Paul prayed. Barnabas prayed. Silas prayed. The disciples prayed. The picture that we're getting to here, and I'm going to get some takeaways in a a couple minutes here, is that everyone prayed. Prayer was part of the life of everybody who followed Jesus. But what was associated with prayer? I found this fascinating as I dug into this. Prayer doesn't often happen in isolation. It's connected with other experiences. Prayer is connected in the book of Acts with the breaking of bread. So that's communion, maybe the way we would do it, or it could be just fellowship together and eating together, but prayer, or both I should say, prayer is connected with both of those. Prayer is connected with the ministry of the word. There's one uh, story in Acts where the disciples are trying to figure out, okay, there's too much stuff to do, we need to divide and conquer kind of thing. You guys do this, some of us will focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. So those are linked together, scripture and prayer. Prayer and the laying on of hands. Multiple times, uh, prayer is described and people are laying on hands for somebody else, on somebody else, praying for them. 
Prayer and fasting is linked together multiple times uh, as, a, as a way of, of um, I guess, expressing the solemnity or the desperation or your willingness to pray for whatever it is you're praying about. I'm willing to give up food for a certain period of time. That's how much uh, I, this prayer, this, this concern, whatever it is, me, me, means to me on our knees. Uh, I just asked you to pray on your knees. I didn't make that up, right? This first the chapter, I mean, so the book of Acts, this first Christians, they were on their knees praying at times, praying and giving gifts to the poor, praying and singing. Praying happens in all kinds of contexts in the book of Acts. Well, when did they pray? This one may seem kind of lame because I'm kind of covering everything by that, uh, but it's intentional. Sometimes prayer, when it's described, is talking about prayer was just this ongoing pattern. It just happened. It seemed to happen all the time. They were constantly doing it. Does that mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Not really. Uh, it doesn't mean it literally, but it means it was just this continual flow of what they were doing. Also, uh, they, there were specific times when specific prayers happened, praying for somebody who was sick, praying for a certain person who was prison, in prison, I mean. So prayer also had this, okay, we're actually focusing prayer on this one time. And prayer was also a scheduled practice. Uh, depending on the church tradition you were raised in, that may be a level of, or an area of comfort or it may seem weird, uh, depending. You know, we pray at three o'clock or noon or whatever, but to actually have these set patterns of prayer, you see that in the book of Acts as well. Where did they pray? No surprise, all over the place, but listen to some of these places. They prayed in the upper room, so that's where they met, these 120 who became 3,000, who then expanded. Uh, they started out by praying in the upper room. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in homes. They prayed when they were alone. They prayed on the roof of their houses. They prayed in houses. They prayed in a place, which might sound funny, but that's a reference to a couple times Paul tells the story of uh, they were traveling around and they went to a place of prayer hoping to meet people, which is signifying obviously there were known places. This is where prayer happens. Uh, they prayed in prison. They prayed on a beach. They prayed in court. They prayed on a boat. They prayed everywhere. Uh, whenever I see that, the beach one, I'm always reminded of a story not a story, an experience. Um, so before moving down here, I was a pastor of a church, and uh, one of the things we, we did multiple years was we moved our, in Prince George, we did this in the summer, we moved our baptisms outside into a lake. Couldn't really do that in the winter because everything's frozen. Uh, but we would do that in the summer, and I remember the first time we did this. We had, on a Sunday morning, the people who were going to be baptized, you know, we heard their stories and all that, but we didn't actually do the baptisms there. We went, drove about 45 minutes to Purden Lake, if you know anything about northern BC, went there, and on a beautiful public beach, and a few hundred of us just kind of invaded this place. I felt sorry for all the other people who were there trying to have a nice day at the beach, and suddenly they're surrounded by all these Christians, and I remember kind of backing off into the water as there's people all over there and there's people with me who are going to be baptized and it struck me it just hit me that here I am I'm about to stand like I'm standing in the water get everybody's attention way more than just church people and I'm going to pray and baptize people and that's when it struck me man when Acts talks about doing these things as a witness for Jesus that's what this is and it was terrifying but man it was a powerful experience of God moving why don't we pray in public more often and take the risk, and be, use prayer as a witness to what, who God is and what he's done. Why did they pray? Uh, this is the, the uh, last one here, and I can see I'm, we might be a little bit late this morning, sorry. Um, uh, they prayed for discernment. 
they couldn't figure things out, they prayed for discernment. They prayed for commissioning when different people were sent off into ministry or different things, they prayed for them. They prayed to receive the Holy Spirit. They prayed to raise people from the dead. Peter did that. There was a girl who was sick, prayed for her, she raised back to life. They prayed when they were saying farewell. They prayed for people to be converted, to become followers of Jesus. They prayed for healing. And many times it just says they prayed, doesn't say what it is. Uh, let me give you five takeaways from all of this. Uh, and then... Uh, and then we're actually going to spend some time in prayer together. First takeaway is this. Everyone prays. Maybe you were in a context where you think, oh, I don't really pray. That's the pastor's job. That's the small group leader's job. We go around in our group, and I don't really pray. You know what? The, the pattern of the early church and to this day is that everyone prays. You don't need qualifications. You don't need to be eloquent. It doesn't matter how you sound, because you're not actually praying to other people anyways. You're talking to God. Everyone praise and the expectation is everyone prays second takeaway is that there are many ways to pray and it's not just all words prayer and fasting laying on of hands on our knees prayer is meant to be more than just we, is it our words 100 percent it's our words but it's not just that it's meant to be more prayer can be third takeaway prayer can be both a rhythm and a response i would suggest it should be both um, and maybe this is, you know, for, for you, depending on where your life pattern is, if prayer has been primarily a response to things, maybe over the next seven days, you should take up the challenge and say, I'm actually going to have a rhythm of prayer. I'm going to pray at this time during the day uh, and just see what happens for one week. Put it in a couple days and see if you can build in a rhythm. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe prayer has become a rhythm for you and you pray in the morning, you know, when you have your breakfast and that's it. Well, then try to make the conscious effort to pray throughout the day at different times when things come up. Number four, prayer happens everywhere. Uh, it doesn't just happen at church. It doesn't just happen in your small group. Maybe the next seven days, a challenge that you could take up, take up is to pray in, three pray, <laughs> pray in three places that you haven't prayed before. Maybe in your office. Maybe in your classroom. Maybe in the car when someone else is in the car. Whenever it is, maybe on a trail. But expand where you pray. See what God might do. And then the fifth one is that there are many reasons to pray. Pray for healing, praying, praying for salvation, praying to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a legit thing, to receive the Holy Spirit. That's not a weird thing. That's actually meant to be normative for those of us who follow Jesus. Pray to receive the Holy Spirit. Pray for discernment. When there's maybe something happening in your family or your, your child is going off to university, why not have a prayer of commissioning over them? How amazing would that be? Pray everywhere for all kinds of reasons. At the very end of the service, um, Wes will uh, remind us of this too, but you know how we always have people at the front praying? That's not just for people who have something wrong with them who need someone to pray for them. That's for everybody. Maybe at the end of this service, throughout the auditorium, we can pray for each other. Acts tw um, 12, 5 is the only reference in Acts to the church praying. It actually says, the ecclesia, that's the Greek word for church, the church pray. They were praying for Peter when he was in prison. Um, as we, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray for all of us again here. Um, but as we remind ourselves that prayer isn't just a, a formula to achieve an outcome, uh, it's actually a way of life. It reorients us around God. I wanna invite us to do that this morning, to reorient even this morning around God and to pray together. Um, so as, as um, they come up on here, I'm going to pray, and then Wes and the team are going to lead us through an experience of prayer. Let me pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we can pray to the almighty God of the universe uh, who knows us, who loves us, and who cares for us. And I ask for our church, for Central Heights in 2020, that we will just be consumed and dominated by prayer, by the release of your spirit, by devotion to the deep study of scripture, and ultimately that this year will be marked by people coming to you in ways that we can't even imagine. So run wild in our midst, call us to you, cause us to be people of prayer, uh, and have your way with us. Ask all that in your name. Amen.